Welcome to the follow-up question. I'm your host, Michael Ashford. I've set out to uncover amazing and insightful stories by interviewing people from all different backgrounds and perspectives. But unlike other interview shows, only this show aims to also teach you what it means to listen more than you speak so that you can become a more thoughtful and informed person. I'm a former journalist who believes everyone has a story to tell, but we only discover those stories when we ask questions and listen. The more questions you're asking, the more you're listening. And the more you're listening, the more you realize we're not so different after all. And my goal is to get beneath the canned and cliche answers to the initial questions that most people can anticipate when they talk to someone to reveal the real nuggets of experiences, desires, dreams, and thoughts that make every person who they truly are. Today on the show, I welcome Chelsea Urson, the host of the podcast, Dear Young Rocker. And I got to tell you, in diving into this podcast, it was enthralling to listen to Chelsea tell her story. Dear Young Rocker is Chelsea's really audio memoir of what it was like to grow up with social anxiety as a teenager who was just looking to fit in and really be cool. I mean, weren't we all at that time, right? She details her life experiences from middle school through college in a unique and interesting and thoughtful perspective, in a, in a thoughtful way. And she talks about, as the name might imply, how finding the bass guitar and music really helped her find the artist within herself. And I don't want to use the cliche to, to come out of her shell, but really understand where she fits in time and place and space in this world and really help her grow into the woman that she has now become. I, I love following the narrative and all the clips and all the music that is inserted into each episode that Chelsea produces herself. It's fantastic work. And I'll be back at the end to give some final wrap-up thoughts. But I know you guys are absolutely going to enjoy listening to Chelsea. From my perspective as a parent, I get into some questions as well about how do we talk to our teenagers, knowing that Chelsea has put her experiences out there. It's great stuff. I appreciate Chelsea coming on the show. Here we go. My interview with Chelsea Erson from Dear Young Rocker. I want to start here, Chelsea, and, and you probably get asked this all the time, but where would your life have been? Have you thought about where your life would in, have ended up had you not found music? Had you not found oh. the bass? Oh my gosh. If I hadn't become a musician... Or at least if I hadn't, if I hadn't become a musician, I would still be in love with music and my life would still probably revolve around it in some way. But if I hadn't found that outlet, I, I really think I would have just fell into another creative thing. I think I, my soul just has to, and maybe I would have become a visual artist or, um, I don't know, a dancer or something. I, I bet I would have found something else. If I hadn't found any creative outlet, I, I can't imagine. I think I would have just been d down some kind of scary, bad path, <laughs> honestly. I, I needed something creative, as I think most people do. I'm interested in the, the journey to start a podcast, to tell your story. As I listen to all of the episodes, especially the early ones, the... 
the the way that you are so introverted in in those experiences doesn't really lend itself to now telling your story on a podcast in this <laughs> way. But what was the what was the motivation to do that? What was the desire and drive to do that? Um, I think you know it was a slow realization that came in a million different steps. It just started with a complete lack of self-awareness and the feeling that I was the only person who had ever felt that way, who'd never been able to talk to anyone. Eventually I realized, you know, I know there's other shy people. I know there's other people with social anxiety. Um, And then at some point it came from anger. I just got really angry on behalf of anyone else who went through the things that I went through and didn't have, like me, didn't have anyone to talk about those things with or or to to share their their loves and their their hobbies with and to find a community you know I found a band but other than that I was I was alone in in a lot of what I went through and a lot of what I went through I thought of as wrong or weird or bad and so eventually I was just like man it's it's been 20 years like I don't think another single kid on this planet should grow up thinking there's something wrong with them for just being afraid of other people because the way this society is constructed and the torrent of stuff we get on social media and the scary stuff you can go through in high school with popular kids and mean kids and bullies it's easy to be scared of everyone um all the the criticism you can get if you're a smart person who picks up on details and you're self-reflective which are good things as a young person you you can just spiral into I'm seeing everything that's that's possibly wrong with you and I, I just was like I need other kids to understand that's okay and that that's actually in the end a good way to be because you're going to be a creative perceptive detail oriented person and I just wanted to basically give my younger self a hug and say, it's okay. Like, I wish more than anything I could provide. I wish I had had a mentor when I was younger. And I wish I could now be that person for people. And even for other, you know, adults who went through that phase. And I get so many messages from people who say, I didn't even realize until now that I have severe anxiety from listening to your story. Because like you, my parents didn't talk about that stuff that wasn't talked about in health class in school, my friends didn't, you know, whatever. So really sharing my story, like the vulnerability of it was never a question for me. I never went, should I say this? Oh, people are going to listen to this. I just wanted the worst feelings I had ever felt out there because I knew they could help someone who thought that those feelings made them weird or alone. And I just wanted to show them, nope, like other people feel this. And when you realize that and you connect with other people through your, your pain and your fear and all these things, you actually find this, this beautiful connection. So that's what it was all about. What has it been like emotionally going back and writing your episode episodes and, and walking through the emotions that you had back then? What has that been like emotionally for you these days? It's, it's a weird process. It was a really long process. It took many drafts and it comes out at the end, the final draft of this very constructed like scene A through B through C. But while writing it, I would 
you know, I think memories are really, really tied to emotion. I think the things we remember the best are the things where we had a super strong emotional reaction. But our memories usually aren't perfect, especially when you're having a strong emotional reaction, because when you're stressed out, your brain shuts down a little bit. So I had to start with like, for instance, I'd remember a friend of a boyfriend saying something really mean to me and me having a panic attack. And I could remember the gist of that statement. Um, and I would have to like sit with that feeling and remember how that, uh, how horrible that actually felt. Cause as an adult, you know, sometimes people at work or whatever will say stuff and it, it really gets your goat, but it's not the same as when you're a teenager. Like yeah. it really feels like the world is absolutely going to end sometimes a lot of like every day, pretty much. <laughs> so I had to really reconnect with that and it's not comfortable. I didn't want to. When I, you know, when I was in my early 20s, I would think about being a teenager and be like, oh my God, I was so dramatic and I'm so over that. But I realized there's something good in remembering that because you can help younger people with that. So I had to really be open to feeling those overdramatic feelings. And sometimes I'd be exhausted afterwards writing those scenes. And then I'd have to go back a second time less emotionally and you know, piece things together and be like, oh, that actually wouldn't have been in that friend's house. That was actually at this other friend's house. I know because I got a ride in the Ford Escort, which belonged to this other person, you know, and, and then I would go, oh, actually that was 2003. That song wouldn't have been on the radio. Let me Google like top hits of 2003. Oh, I thought that song from 2006 would have been out. And so then I edit and I edit and I edit, and then I have to change things like, um, language because I spoke in a different way. I wanted to sound cool. And so I, I would have said like, Oh, that's ill. I would never (laughs) say that now. So I'd have to like change the language and make it more like I I spoke back then. And sometimes I was a little pretentious and whatever. I, I, I thought about things a different way. I spoke a different way. So I'd have to, yeah. So writing was like an emotional, thing. And it was also like research of myself and the time period and this big editing task. But then in the end, I have this, this artifact instead of this blurry jumbled memory, that's just an emotion. I have something I could like show a, a grandkid someday and be like, look, it's the real story. What was the moment where you decided this is something that you wanted to do? You, you mentioned wanting to help other, other kids who maybe mm-hmm. were in the same spot, but was there a moment that you said, this has to be the thing that I do? Um, the podcast itself. Well, the thing yeah. is it started off as a book. And so that's a little tricky to answer. Um, and it started, I mean, it really started off as journal entries and just realizing the things I went through as a kid, other kids went through, especially feeling alone as a girl who was angry and who wanted to like punch other kids. Um, and so I would journal about that and be like, why did no one tell me that that wasn't horrible? And why did no one tell me about Riot Girl and like 90s feminism? Like that had all disappeared by the time I grew up. And then at some point I went, okay, this is going to be a book because I need a master's thesis. I'm an MFA student. I, I'm going to write a memoir. I thought I was going to write a novel. I decided I'm going to write a memoir. Um, and then... Uh, I just felt like it needed to be in the world and believe it or not, publishing a book traditionally is very, very hard. Yes, it is. (laughs) And publishing a memoir when you're just some kid in grad school, no one wants to buy it. Like a a company doesn't want to risk thousands and thousands of dollars 
promotional budget on you. So I I knew I couldn't publish it unless I self-published it. And I was like, I had little support and knowledge of that. So I wasn't going to even try to self-publish. And then I, I just discovered podcasts somehow um, and found out that anyone can publish a podcast. And unlike books, there's not this glaring discrepancy between like self-published and a big company putting it out. Like they're all in the Apple store next to each other. And so I said, oh my gosh, like I don't have to wait for a publisher to say you're good enough just because I was like, I want to help people now. I want them to hear my story and like feel good about themselves and change. Like it felt urgent. I can't wait four years until I have a big enough audience to put out this book, but I can just put out this podcast and maybe no one will listen to it. You know, whatever. It's like a blog. You never know. Um, But then I just got lost in the process of making it. And I just fell in love with, you know, making narrative audio, I guess. And that kept me going forward. Because I think a lot of people who start to make podcasts, once they realize how hard it is, they get bogged down. Mm -hmm. Whereas I saw those challenges as fun. I was like, I can't wait to figure out this software problem. Like I, I'm banging my head against the the computer, but like, I love it. Like I love figuring out how to make the music not too loud or like how to cut the voice up. So it sounds like I didn't make this mistake. Like those, those were exciting to me. That wasn't frustrating. Um, even like saving up to buy a new microphone and stuff like that was fun to spend every dollar on that. (laughs) So luckily I loved the process and I just felt like this can help people. I need to do it for them. I wasn't really thinking about me besides enjoying the process. And I was thinking about helping people and that, that was just my impetus. Yeah. You talked right there about helping people. Was there ever, and has there ever been uh, a point where young Chelsea has said, oh, I don't, I don't want to put this out there. Like this is too much. Do you fight those feelings? Oh, she doesn't get to talk about that. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think if she was here, my God, it's, it's, it's still hard to like totally comprehend how different I was because I, I was one of those kids, you know, who wouldn't even raise my hand to say I have to go to the bathroom because if the other kids knew I had to go to the bathroom, like that, you know, I got mm. from that level to like saying like the the weirdest, strangest the thoughts I've ever had into a microphone and being like unlimited people can hear this. I don't care. And yeah, it just changed from, I think I turned my like fear into a power. I was like, I my social anxiety is like so intense that it's pretty much a superpower. (laughs) Um, and I, I actually enjoy being as like vulnerable and cringy sometimes as I can now. And that younger Chelsea, she comes out sometimes when, you know, podcast reviews, there's always going to be someone who's like, once you get to a certain size, you're, you, you get these people that didn't even listen to it and they decide they hate you, I don't, you know, whatever. They're like, I heard an ad and it, I got really annoyed that your ad came on the podcast I was listening to. Your voice is <laughs> stupid, lady. So when I read that kind of stuff, young Chelsea will be like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done this. <laughs> but it goes away quickly because I read seven more beautiful reviews that make me want to cry of people saying like my 13 year old daughter and I connected over this or something. And I'm like, okay, it's all worth it. It's great. 
Chelsea, what, what has the work been like to get to that point where you're at now, where you can say those things like she doesn't exist anymore. I'm so far beyond that. What, what, what work have you put in to get to that point? What does that look like? Yeah, I guess I've just, you know, I don't think I've cut out certain parts of me. I've just, like I said, figured out the strength in the the parts, like the the other side of the coin and the parts that were a hindrance to me before. And I still, oh my God, do I ever still struggle with social anxiety, but I see things through a lot of therapy, a lot of yoga, um, a lot of self-help books. I just see everything very um, meta or like removed at this point. I, I, I'm pretty good at hearing my thoughts and not taking them seriously and then deciding if the, the automatic thought that I'm having is true or not, like that everyone hates me, you know, the, wow, I'm, I'm taking up space, whatever it is. Um, I can turn those into like, Oh, clearly let me think. I haven't eaten lunch. I'm having a serotonin crash. The postman doesn't hate me. He just really wants me to put my name on the mailbox because it would make <laughs> his job easier. Um, those kind of things. Um, yeah, I really like old school self-help books. Um, my, one of my favorites of all time is Dale Carnegie's How to Start, How to Stop Worrying and Start Living. Um, I just read Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich for the first time, which I absolutely love. Um, I think the cheesiest self-help advice is the stuff that actually works always. It's the power of positive thinking. Um, sometimes I'll go on these things uh, called um, complaint breaks or complaint detoxes, mm -hmm. where if someone asks me how I'm doing, I won't allow myself to say anything negative, no matter what's going on. Like my cat could be biting my leg <laughs> and whatever. I could have a doctor's appointment for something scary. And I just say like, wow, you know, the fresh air is blowing into my apartment. And it smells really nice. How are you? Like, tell me about your pain. Um, so just focusing on the good because the bad will always be there. Trying to prop up the good and trying to see, yeah, the, the, the good powers in, in all the things that feel like negatives. How do you describe what it's like to live with social anxiety to somebody who doesn't understand it or, or has never dealt with it? Oh my God, it's really hard. Um, <laughs> I guess it just kind of feels like, I feel like I've tried to explain this to a couple of friends who seem free and easy. And I'll, I'll try to say like, I don't think you really get it. And they're like, no, I've, I've felt self-conscious before, but it almost feels like you can't, even if you're completely alone, you feel like you're being looked at. Like the, it's like the physical feeling of people's eyes on you judging you. Like I, when I, when I have bad periods, I could be completely in my house with my blinds drawn and I could be I don't know, like putting the dishes away and realize there's like a fleck of food on one and just hear my mom telling me you need to learn to clean better or something like that. And then just feel like, oh, I guess I'm not that good at cleaning. And then it turns into maybe I'm not like an adult woman and I'm not taking care of business and blah, 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 blah. So I'd say it's kind of like these eyes on you and it tends to lead 
into spirals. Um, it becomes like you become a prisoner of yourself. Like you want to think about people other than you and you want to think about what's going on out there. Um, but you end up just constantly, it's like someone's holding a mirror up with all of your flaws, just like huge in front of you. And you can't even hear what the person next to you is saying because you just have this, this stupid mirror between you. Hmm. Chelsea, I've, I've, I've recently listened to the episode where you uh, are in college and you wrote, your, you wrote the paper about your dad and your experience with your dad. And I'm thinking also back to episodes where you've, you've talked about your mom and the, the quippy things that she would say to you to get you in, in kind of a, a heightened state. How is your relationship with your parents these days? It's better because there's more distance. I think... At some point, I just really accepted that I don't need their approval. And I I accepted a few things, that I don't need their approval because if there's some aspect of my life they're not into, I know I have at least one, probably 10 friends who will cheer me on in that area. Um, If my mom hates my outfit, my best friend probably loves it (laughs) and will probably compliment me on it. And then... I realized that their negativity, they probably have no interest in making me insecure. If if they really understood how much they have, they I'm sure they would both feel terrible. And I'm sure that their insecurity that they put on me is their own insecurity that they're transferring. And I know it came from their parents because I have heard all kinds of stories mm-hmm. about, you know, the Great Depression generation and how strict they were about things like my dad wasn't allowed to like turn the heat up before taking a shower, even if it was freezing out, you know, stuff like that. Like I can't imagine what they went through. And my mom's parents came from very blue collar backgrounds. And so she was raised to be classy. Everything was about being classy. And so that's why with me, I have to dress a certain way to look for her because about everything with appearance for her is like looking classy, even though it's like, no, it's okay. Like we're middle-class. We don't have to worry. No one's going to like send us to the poor house. If I have like a hole in my shirt, like it's, it's not a thing. Even if I'm actually broke, anyone can dress how they want. So just understanding that they, at the end of the day, they, they love me and support me. And so I can hear them saying it's still tough, but I can hear my dad saying like, oh, you could have been an actress if you were skinny on the bottom as you are on the top or something like that. And just be like, my God, he was just raised in a different era. And I just laugh at it. (laughs) I I can't take it to heart because he, he wants to support me and love me and he just doesn't know the right things to say. So I let it roll. As a parent myself, uh, this is kind of a a personal question that I want to ask you. And that is, what, how can we as parents approach our children? Uh, what would your advice be to parents to approach our children who, who social anxiety or not, they, like you said, yeah. like, teen, being a teenager sucks. <laughs> like, yeah. In that moment, you, look, you, get, you become an adult and you look back on it and it's fine. It's, it's not as big of a deal. But in that moment, how can we as parents support our children in mm. an effective way in your mind? Well, a few things. I mean, as I was just talking about, 
never criticize their appearance. I feel like that's pretty yeah. basic, <laughs> you know, unless they're doing something that like will get them in some kind of serious trouble. Like don't go into the snow without a jacket, but, you know, focus your comments on like, wow, you tried really hard. Wow. You're so nice to your friend. Wow. You're really respectful to grandma. Great. You know, wow. You put on your own pants. You picked out an outfit. Great. So there's that, you know, focus your comments inward. And then if you want or if you want or hope for your child to be a certain way or to have a certain quality, don't tell them to do that. Just do it yourself because they will pick up on so much more than you think. Like my parents, I think my parents are frustrated probably that I didn't share with them how much depression and anxiety I was feeling, but I didn't share it with them. They never told me, oh, you can't share those things. I just saw them not sharing that with me. Mm. I saw my parents having a tough day, knowing they were miserable, and them not talking about it because they didn't want to burden me with their feelings. Like when they went through a terrible, horrible divorce, they, you know, in the 80s and the 90s, I think the advice was like make a normal family environment. So my dad came over for dinner every single day. We had like a nuclear family. And I could just feel the tension between my parents. I could feel my mom not wanting to be around my dad, but she would be like, smile and whatever. And they wouldn't talk about their feelings. Neither one of them ever said to me, I'm sad that I got divorced. They just said, are you okay? We want to make sure. How are you feeling? Hmm. So they wouldn't tell me how they were feeling, but I was supposed to say how I was feeling. So when I was asked how I was feeling, I would say, oh, I'm fine. Because they said, oh, I'm fine. So I, I, I knew that to be an adult, I had to be like them. And what they were doing was hiding their feelings. So I hid my feelings. And then I got really good at it because they are really good at it. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want, you know, obviously you don't want to make your, your kids take on your financial pain or whatever it is you're going through, but be honest. Just be like, yeah, I'm having a tough day. Can I talk to you about it? Like... Maybe you can give me a hug and it'll help. Just, you know, I'm having a little trouble with stuff, but tomorrow will be another day and things will get better. Don't say, oh, mom's fine. Everything's fine. Dad's fine. You know, just <laughs> be a human and they'll say, then maybe when they're having a tough day, they'll tell you instead of saying, you know, what happened today at school? Nothing. I'm fine. Yeah. Hmm. I I also want to go back to episode five, which is titled Kiss. And I, I, yes. I thought for a moment it might be about the rock band Kiss, which is actually <laughs> one of my favorites, but it decidedly was not. Um, there, was a, there was something you said in that episode, Chelsea, that made me stop and listen to it over and over again. And I actually wrote it down. And as a father of a daughter, I want your thoughts on this. So I'm going to read this. Girls often sense that boys will get mad and ruin things if we don't comply with them. So we do what we can do to take care of their feelings. This needs to be rejected as soon and as firmly as possible. Chelsea, how do I reject that with my daughter? Like, how do I help my daughter reject that? Um, I, I get goosebumps reading it because it is so... I see it. I sense it. Uh, and my mm -hmm. daughter's still very young. But um, I want to I head it off at the pass. <laughs> what, what, like, as, as, a, as a dad, like, what can I do <laughs> in your mind? Oh, that must be a scary feeling, yeah. I'm sure, as a dad. Wow, I can't imagine. I mean, I don't think my parents did a bad job with that. They just, 
They enforced, they said over and over again, you don't have to do anything you don't want to do. No one has a right to do anything to you or with you without, you know, they, they said all the right things, but I kind of wish they had, I, and I probably would have hated it. I probably would have tried <laughs> to leave the room and been like, this is stupid, but I wish they had actually sort of role played a little bit because even though I knew you shouldn't let someone kiss you if you don't want to kiss them. I had that rule book, but then I had the high school rule book of you will be a loser. No one. If you don't have your first kiss by the time you're 15, like goodbye, everyone's going to know. And that took over. So if I, so like what mattered more to me was being cool. That's, that's going to take over at some point. And so if I had a way, if I had planned something to help me get out of it with, without losing that like cred, I think I would have succeeded, but I, I panicked and I couldn't think of anything to say. So I wish I had kind of been like, like if a parent or mentor or someone had said like, just imagine a boy is about to kiss you. You don't want to kiss him. Just like spend the afternoon kind of thinking about what, what you could say. Mm. And I probably would have come, you know, I'm a slow thinker and especially in those fast situations, you need something. And if you're not prepared, you might, especially as a kid, you, you end up doing stuff you don't actually want to do. Um, and luckily nothing happened to me that I couldn't like live with and didn't ruin anything. But if I had prepared a line about like, like, I wish I had said something like, Oh, I actually have a boyfriend at this other high school. Like none of you guys know him. So I I can't, sorry. Like he's actually like really cool and older, (laughs) you know? (laughs) So something like that, you know, I, I don't think lying is a bad thing when you're in certain situations, like, because that boy probably would have lied up and down to get me to kiss him, you know? Mm. So do it right back to get out of it. So think I think have get your kid to have a toolkit even if they won't have that conversation with you because I don't think I would have had that conversation with my mom I I know she I remember her sitting me down and saying like do you know what oral sex is and I wanted to kill myself like right then and there it was like horrible and I was like yeah I didn't know what it was I didn't know what it was and I didn't want my mom to explain it um I think I tried to ask my friends about it, but I was, I knew so little that I was afraid to even like bring, I was like, I'm going to use the wrong word and they're going to make fun of me. So if I had been in that kind of situation, I would have been totally lost. So I kind of wish my mom had just been like, I'm going to tell you anyway, and (laughs) I'm going to tell you what I would have said if I was your age and I was in a situation where someone and she probably would have said some dorky thing, but then I would have thought of my own version of what to say. She would say like, boys can't do that or something, but you know, so just, yeah. just get her to think about it before you think she has to, because it comes way sooner. Mm. I, I don't want to, but I can't imagine. <laughs> um, yeah. You mentioned earlier the, the feedback that you get in, in reading the reviews and, and parents bonding with their children through your show. What is a, do you have a story or a favorite, a favorite bit of feedback from somebody who's listened to your show that's gotten value of it that you just, that just has lifted you up? Um, I've had a couple mother daughters and that just makes me absolutely like cry usually. Um, 
But for some reason, the ones that stick in my mind the most are the dads because they always start their letters with, I'm not, I know I'm not your target audience or you're not going to believe that me, a six-year-old man, listened to your show and liked it. But what really sticks with me is they always say stuff like, I had no idea the girls in my high school felt the way I did. Like, hmm. they had no idea girls could feel the same way about guitars and about music and about being angry and about sex and about love and all of these things, these frustrations, anxiety. Like, and they'll say, and I have a 13-year-old daughter and now... I realize like what I went through is actually what she's going through. And I've been able to like bring things up to her and some of them share the show with their kids. A lot of them will say, I try to get my kid to listen and they just won't listen to podcasts, which is fine. But, um, but yeah, when a dad gets perspective, like a little bit of gender perspective, that's always like, Oh my God, I'm changing the world. (laughs) What? Yeah dive into that a little bit more. Like, what does that mean to you to, to know that people are hearing your stories and relating to not only themselves, but the world around them through, you know, shared experiences with you? What does that mean to you? Oh, it means so much. It just means so much as a writer, because that's, that's what I think the whole goal of memoir is for me, is for people to realize humans are just so much more similar than we think. Like, you aren't as unique as you think in a good way. Mm -hmm. Um, You have so much more connections and experiences that that you share with people who you, who look nothing like you and live in totally different parts of the world. So that, that feels amazing that I'm doing that work because a lot of people, when you tell them I write memoir, you know, a certain amount of those people are going to think, Oh, that's selfish. Oh, you just think about yourself all day. Why do you just write about yourself when there's so many other things to write about? And I'm like, I'm not writing about myself. I'm writing about gender issues. I'm writing about music. I'm writing about anxiety and mental health. I'm writing about teenage relationships and consent. I just rather write a story than a clinical textbook about those things and I already know my own story and I didn't want to just manufacture a character. Like I already had enough anecdotes and advice. Plus I don't want to, I like speaking to myself because I think if I addressed the advice to other people, I address it to you. I address it to me and I say, right. you should do this because I don't actually know if my advice works for everybody in every situation. So When I do hear people, especially who say, like, I am so different from you, I can't believe how much we have in common and how much we felt alike, that just absolutely makes all the hours worth it that I put into it. What's been the hardest thing about it? Oh, my God, the hardest thing about it. (laughs) Um... I guess it's just been a lot of time. I started this thing like in 2017, you know, like, and I just recently put out the last episode of like the main story. And now I'm thinking about telling other people's stories, but I, and I, I am, you know, so eternally grateful that I got to put out something I created and I got a little bit paid for it and I got to connect with people. 
but I am behind in some ways. Like if I, I don't want to use that word behind, but like if I measure the career ladder based me up against my friends who didn't take three years off to do something creative and who just climbed at their company and now they're like buying their house and having their kids. And I'm like, I would love to do that stuff, but I had a podcast as a baby instead. (laughs) Um, So sometimes that's a little tough. And like I said, it's in the end, it's worth it. And I'm grateful for it. But, you know, so many people say, man, I wish I hadn't just sat in this office chair doing this boring nine to five forever. Well, you know, I wish I could get a new car. I have had the same car since 2008 and it's sounds horrible and like I worry every winter like what's gonna happen and I don't have much of a savings like you know and that's okay I like sacrificed for art but and the grass is always greener but now I'm at a point where I'm like I have to figure out how to either make this really support me which is scary um you know some people blow up immediately and you know my podcast has done as well as anyone could ever hope and it's it's not a financially it's not my full-time job it takes full-time hours but it does not pay me full-time and it takes so many hours that I do not I can't really sign up for much freelance work because I'm you know I I get called you have to record a promo right now if I had a job I can't be like I need to leave and record an ad like for Spotify or whatever like so yeah, just the the lifestyle, building the lifestyle. It's like having a kid. It's like when you create this this huge thing, you have to support it and you have to make sacrifices for it. So, yeah. Where do you go from here? What is, I mean, as much as you can share, maybe, what's the plan for Dear Young Rocker? Gosh, I don't know. Like, I mean, I eventually would like a book to come out. I still don't know in what format it might be a self-helpy kind of book. Um, I don't think it will be the exact story I've already told because it's already out there in audio format. Um, and I would like to, to write some fictional stuff, but Dear Young Rocker itself will continue and I will start to tell other people's stories, um, give myself a break in that way and get some more perspectives out there you know, diversify it. I'm just one person. Um, and that'll be interesting, but I'm, I'm only thinking as far as the next season, because anything I've, I've done creatively that's worked out. I, I have to think in chunks. Like I didn't make a whole rock album until I just thought like, I'm going to write one riff. I'm going to write one song. I'm going to record one song. I'm going to record one five song cassette. I'm going to sell five copies, you know, just step, step, step. And that's how the podcast went. And that's how I'm going to keep doing it. Like, like long-term, I just want to create, keep creating and writing and helping people. But I have my value have my big values that will guide me, but then my steps are like small. So I'm working on season three, looking for guests. That's it right now. Very cool. Well, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you what your musical influences are right now. Who inspires you? Who who do you, who are you listening to? Uh, and and who really who really would you like to pump up here? Oh my gosh, who would I like to pump up? Um, I mean, I listen to a lot of, I guess, smaller underground stuff because that's 
the scene my band plays in. My band is Banana, by the way, uh, <laughs> for anyone who's interested in uh, that. It's a like a grunge band, kind of. Um, let me look at my uh, Apple Music real quick. Let's see what I listened to the past couple days. And, and while you're doing that, where can you find yeah. Banana Music? Oh, you can find Banana Music at Banana Ma, like Banana Ma dot Bandcamp dot com. I'll link that up. <laughs> yeah, that's everything. Okay, so the the newer music I've been listening to, uh, I listened to this album. I don't listen to much country sounding stuff or folky stuff, but I really like this lady, Carver Miranda, hmm. which is a really cool name. Um, that came out this year. I just listened to this album by a band called Girl Friday. I think they're Australian. I can't remember. (laughs) Really like them. Um, so like poppy, listening to more like poppy rock stuff that when I was younger, I would have been like, this is stupid bubble gum. And now I'm more like, I think this is important and it's, it's fun. And I just want energy during my day. I like to bounce around the house cause I, you know, work from home like everyone else now. Are you, are you talking so, pop punk here? Cause that, that's speaking my language. If you're going down that yeah, path. Like. I guess pop punk, I would say <laughs> girl Friday's kind of in that vein. Um, let's see. Oh, what was this other band? Do, 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 do retirement party. They were good. Um, I listen to a lot of just playlists my friends send me <laughs> and I don't even remember the names of the bands. I've been randomly getting really deep into like eighties post punk though. Mm. Um, I don't, I listen to more old music that I discover lately than new music. I'm becoming like the, the classic rock person. I don't know, like XTC and early the cure, um, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I love I love the eighties music. Oh, you know what my favorite album that came out like the last couple of years is Fiona Apple's newest album, Fetch the Bolt Cutters. Okay, well that is the first name that you've mentioned that I know. I know Fiona <laughs> Apple. So Yeah, she's great. <laughs> Very cool. Well, Chelsea, thank you so much for your time. I've got one more question for you and I kind of turn okay. it back to you. What is a question that you wish you were asked more? Oh my God. Um Yeah, I like being asked about my writing process, honestly, um, and my podcast creation process. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people just see podcasts and they're like, oh, you just speak into a microphone and you record it. But there's emotional ups and downs in creating each podcast episode, as I described to you. Just That was just the script. Never mind the sound design. I create my own music. And it's just, it's a whirlwind. So I like being asked you know, basically what is your process and how do you feel about it? Did you go into the script writing process and the production process with an idea in mind and it's morphed over time or what has that process been like for you? Yeah, it was in the beginning. I, before I re-released my podcast on iHeartRadio, I had released it myself and I think I recreated the first episode probably seven times Hmm. as I got better at writing for audio because initially I wrote this as a book. So I would have a 30 page thing and I was like, this will be a 30 minute episode. Uh Uh-uh. Had to chop that down to a seven page thing. And then 
I got better at incorporating the music and I got better at adding little sound effects to make it come alive. And then I just got better at the recording quality. And so I learned the value of just like doing something over and over and over and over and over again. And that, that was the beginning of it. And then by episode like 24, I was writing off the top of my head, throwing in the music, the sound design, just like boom, 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 boom. The writing was still an emotional thing and it was still, um, I don't know what happened and it was still a, um, a process of research um, because there's even parts of a few years ago, I don't super remember, but it became like I knew what was coming. And so I knew how to make the first steps in a way that would be efficient for like three steps later. Because when you start podcasting, especially if your podcast has a lot of music and sound effects, the just amount of files, like my computer slowed down and wouldn't work at one point I had to buy a new computer. <laughs> um, and then I learned like file management and how to start at the very beginning organizing your files. So, and then eventually I began to like love folder systems and organizing things and notebook systems. Um, and I found like the beauty in organization because I'm not naturally organized. So, so yeah, it started off as just like iteration, 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 and then became this machine. But I'm going to go back to iteration because I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to incorporate people who aren't me and I can't make them write the script. I can give them pointers and hope it comes out in a way that's going to resonate with the audience. But like, I have to just trust them and then be more of a director than a starring actor. And so that's, that's going to be a whole new thing. And I might have to make those first episodes a hundred times to make them good. Very cool. Well, Chelsea, I I do have another question came to mind for somebody who's never listened to your show and hears Uh our conversation and says, I'm going to go check that out. Uh What do you hope they take away from it at the end of listening to everything that you've put out there right now? Um, I hope they just, even if they're a completely different person from me, I hope they just feel a little more connected to themselves, both their younger selves. Um, I hope they realize the value in those messy younger emotions that we want to write off as dramatic and immature and, and see the actual beauty in that process of like becoming ourselves of being of falling in love with our favorite stuff for the first time. Maybe they'll remember, Oh yeah, I loved to play guitar when I was 16 and I haven't picked it up in 25 years and they'll go back to it. Um, and, and feel like a new person. Um, and they'll just think more about their relationship with themselves and, and feel good about being their weird, flawed, special selves. (laughs) Fantastic. Chelsea, thank you so much. I love the show. I can't wait to hear what you do with it next and and tell other people's stories. But thank you so much for your time and coming on. Uh, Really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Michael. Great questions. So many thanks to Chelsea for sharing her story on the show today. You know, my thoughts on this episode, what she said there at the end, I loved that. The value in our messy emotions to discover who we actually are, what we care about, what we like and what we don't like. Fantastic stuff there. You know, as parents, the pileup of responsibilities and experiences in conjunction with time, the passing of time, can make us forget what being a teenager was like. 
the pressures, the seemingly life or death choices, the relationships. It was important. It was important and it is important to our younger people. And I hope that this episode maybe perhaps spurs a little bit of empathy for our children, empathy for younger people, perhaps that new kid at work, fresh out of college, understanding what life was like back at that point where we were just discovering what we liked and didn't like. That's important stuff and we need to have empathy for that and remember those experiences. And a reminder, as a parent, be involved. It makes a world of difference, as you heard Chelsea talk about there. Please do me and Chelsea a huge favor and share this episode with someone you know who might also find some value in listening to our conversation here on this episode. Share it with your network. Help spread the good word about the importance of asking more questions. And if you like the conversations with the amazing guests that I have each week on each episode, like Chelsea, be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Subscribing also helps the show gain more reach. And if you ever want to get in touch with me, you can always email me, michael at thefollowupquestion.com or go to thefollowupquestion.com and reach out there. I'll catch you on the next episode of The Follow-Up Question. And until then, keep asking questions.